0: We're back in Genesis today. Grab your Bible, make your way over to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be picking up in verse 18 today. So back in the 70s, you might not know this if you're young, but there used to be these things called magazines. Uh, it's like the internet on paper. Uh, in 1972, uh, all the way to 1993, right, close to the internet invention, uh, there was a feminist magazine that used the title this, the uh, Spare Rib, that's what it was called. And it took its name from our passage here before us. The, uh, the founders of this magazine uh, found this passage incredibly offensive, right? Uh, you know, women are just a spare rib of Adam. It's kind of how they, they took it. Uh, so that's where the, the title comes from. Never mind that, you know, Adam was made from far less prestigious dirt. Uh, you know, along those lines, actually, Matthew Henry said that Eve was dust too, just twice refined. Uh, now, it's, it's also worth noting that... Uh, <clears throat> If you really look at the order of things, uh, woman was the pinnacle of creation, right? I'll summarize it in much less than what's reality, right? But the plants and the fish and the birds and the creatures and, uh, and man. And then finally, we, we have woman. As Glenn Schreibner says, man may be the head of creation, but woman is the crown. And so while this passage on the creation of, of woman before us is, is wonderful, and I hope you will see it that way today, As well, it also might bother you a little bit. This is one of those passages in Scripture that people come to and they are bothered a little bit. And that's okay. God's Word often bothers me when my views need to be recalibrated to God's revelation. So maybe you'll be bothered today because you currently hold uh, to some feminist views that veer outside of, uh, of Scripture. But it also might be equally true that you're going to be bothered by this passage today because you are holding to some chauvinistic low view of women view that is also outside of Scripture. And so here at the start, I, I ask that you acknowledge this one aspect. If you've seen nothing else through Genesis so far, you, you acknowledge this, that God is the one who has created us. God is the one who has created us, men and women. God is the one who has created us in His image. And God alone knows why and gets to speak to why we were created, how we were created. God alone is the one who determines how men and women are to relate to each other. I guess what I'm asking here at the start is, are you, are you willing to let God's word shape your views today and not reshape God's word according to your views? And, and listen, I'll tell you from the start, this is not going to answer every question you have about manhood or womanhood or gender or marriage, but uh, through it God reveals to us what we need to know here and then it expands further as you go throughout the rest of the scripture so so then uh, just as a reminder before we get back into this right because we're picking up in a context uh, it, we've just seen the short version right you be why couldn't you do this two weeks ago this short version uh, we saw the creation of Adam we saw uh, the Garden of Eden, where Adam is put in there, and, he, and he's instructed, right, to, to tend to that garden, and then the fruit of the forbidden tree. We, we see the two trees, and particularly the forbidden one. So, so that's what we just read, and we're going to be picking up now in chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to put my old man glasses on here. <clears throat> and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up, the, up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Great and glorious God, the Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, giver of the Holy Spirit, you who spoke by the apostles and the prophets, pour out now that same Holy Spirit as we, we come to these pages of your word. Open to us your most precious truths, Lord, shine your your light upon us. Father, we know uh, we are simple. Even the most intellectually profound among us are quite simple compared to you. So we ask that you would grant us understanding. May we receive wisdom today to enjoy and to obey the fruits of your word. It's through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So hopefully you were here, if not, you probably read Genesis 1 at one point. Do you remember in chapter 1, after God created some aspect of creation, right, the stars and the plants and the birds and, you know, all the other things he started, God would step back and he would look at it, and do you remember what God would say in that moment? Over and over, six times, I heard it, say it, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. But what do we, we see today, right? Because remember, as we're in here chapter 2, we're zooming in and we're seeing details. So one thing that we saw from a wide angle, we'll now get able to see it stretched out a little bit. So, right, look at verse 18. After the creation of Adam, then the Lord God said, it is not good. That should be unexpected to us. You, you, you don't expect that, right? He, he says, it is not good. That man should be alone. And, and notice this is not because Adam right, had, had you know, gotten on Google Maps or whatever and did a, a review on existing just one star God or, or, or on the garden itself or anything like that. This, this is actually God's own assessment of the situation, not a complaint from Adam. And, and God's own assessment is, you know what? Here I am doing this creation and there is something still missing here. And so God declares he's going to fix this deficiency. He says, I will make a helper fit for him. And like every man who has ever been asked to find anything in the fridge in his entire life, Adam doesn't see it at all. He seems completely unaware of what's right here before him. Adam Adam doesn't see his need. And and so God decides he's going to reveal this to Adam, and he does it in this really unusual way. He's going to parade all these animals in front of Adam and, and, you know, telling him, name these animals. And so on they come, you know, I don't know particularly, you know, dog, and that's horse, and that's European swallow, African swallow, um, that one we'll call aardvark. You know, let's spell that with two A's just to make it hard on children. I don't know, right? Those wouldn't have been the names he used. I, I suppose the names would have been in, in Hebrew, uh, which would make aardvark. I had to look this up, don't think I know it. Uh, dov. Which doesn't work nearly as well. Uh, however, the whole point here, right, is, is not about classifying these animals and really giving them names, even, but the whole point is to show Adam, look at all these other creatures in creation, and, 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 and to, to drive in him this sense, right, that none of them are, are what deep down you long for. And Adam gets that. Because for a second time, we, we read this phrase, right, verse 20, right? There was not found for him, there was not found a helper fit for him. And, and so, right, this, this helper term, we, we probably found the first point of offense here, right? Did, did Moses, who's writing this, and ultimately God, right, just refer to woman as man's helper? Did he? Indeed, he did. And that, that probably sounds a little belittling to your ears, and that's because we use that word helper often in our language in demeaning ways. You're, you're making cookies, and you have your four-year-old come help you, help you, right? Uh, and, and you know they're not going to be a whole lot of help, but you refer to them, oh, you're mom's little helper. Or you think of the wealthy celebrity, right, has this assistant who's just paid to do things they don't want to do, things that they consider far below them. We... we we read this word helper and, and we think assistant, we think lowly servant, we think inferior and inadequate, we think less valuable, less capable. Go, go get me some coffee kind of moments. But, but hold up those assumptions here because maybe we get lost in translation here. Now, the word helper is from this Hebrew word, ezer, uh, which you might recognize. It's the suffix of that term ebenezer and you're thinking, where have I heard that before? You ever saying, come thou fount? Here we raise our Ebenezer. That means stone of help is is what an Ebenezer is. Uh, And and so if we just take Ezer here, right, by itself, it means one who helps. I mean, if you're listening, you're like, that didn't help at all. We're right where we started. Um, Maybe this will help. The same Hebrew word for helper here routinely in Scripture refers to what God does right, to God himself as he does powerful and important works for Israel. You know, when, when God delivered Israel from, from Pharaoh, from Egypt, right, he was referred to as their helper, their, their easer. A bunch of times in the Psalms, God is referred to as my helper, my helper, my helper. And, and if God is called helper, then it can't be a diminishing, inferior term because God is certainly not inferior to mankind so you see, helper is it's a great word. It really is. But, but, but I'll add to that even this, right? That, that Trumper Longman, who's one of my professors, uh, he, he pointed out in military context, this word, ezer, ezer, right, is, is usually translated as an ally. Someone who is united in, in purpose. We think of it in terms of nations, right? An ally. And so, as, as Kent Hughes beautifully words it, he says, man's helper would be no weak sister by any stretch of the misogynist imagination. And so when considering what is deficient in Adam, right, in verse 20, Adam, Adam doesn't need just any helper. It's very specific, but rather he needs a helper that's fit for him. And that tells us something, right? In fact, if you follow the little number, if you've got your Bible out, and you're like, oh, it says something else here, and you follow that fit for him co- footnote, it says uh, a helper corresponding to him. It's not a stretch uh, uh, to say that this phrasing here prescribes a a complementary relationship between Adam and Eve. She'll she'll need to supply what he lacks, and vice versa. But by God's design, they will both have distinctive strengths for the responsibilities that God gave them at the end of chapter 1. If you remember back to that, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion. When, when, when God creates woman, she is to be a, a matching counterpart to to Adam, not not identically identical, right? But but intentionally corresponding to one another, like like two pieces of a, a puzzle. Similar, they go together. They're they're not the same. They are made to fit together. The, the the woman that God is about to make will make it possible to accomplish what man alone could never accomplish. And you might, you might blush at this, but this, this corresponding is seen quite clearly even in our sexual anatomy and our, our reproduction organs. The, the way everything works together. The way together they, they can produce new life. Two men cannot reproduce on their own and neither can two women. And I know we always get to this point, you're like, oh, so is that it? What is this, the handmaid's tale? You just need women to have babies for you? Is that what it is? No. That's, that's not... The only deficiency that God is addressing in man, the, the woman's help extends far beyond having children. Anyone who has experienced a healthy marriage knows this very well, but, but childbirth is remarkable. It is. Don't, don't you dare belittle the God-given ability to, to grow a child in the womb. It's, it's not weak. It's not menial. It's amazing. It really is. And and so then the actual creation of Eve here is seen in in verses 21 and 22. Adam's put to sleep, and and God removes the rib uh, with marrow and and all the bloody fluids, right? That's how I picture it. And and then he chooses, uh, closes Adam back up, and with that rib, he creates woman. Now, as a a kid living before the Internet, right, think about the 90s, I can remember learning from my peers, which was like social network in our day, <clears throat> that men have one less rib than women uh, because of this event, and I was fascinated by it. In fact, I told everyone, I was like, did you know I was, I was you know, fake news 101 right there? Uh, <clears throat> because it's not true. It's not true at all. And so just to set that right for you, men and women, right, uh, Adam might have had one less rib than Eve, probably did, but men and women since have had the same number of ribs. Not sure, just go feel. You'll know. Anyway, um, I don't know why I didn't do that in the 90s. Uh, but you also have this question, why not, just, why not just make woman from the dust also? You know, just get more dust. It's not like there's a shortage of dust on the earth. And, and I, don't, I don't know for sure, but most believe by making, um, making her from his rib, it, it symbolically shows us this mysterious union that is man and woman together in marriage or as, as Matthew Henry famously stated I bet you've heard this before although I, I will say this it, it is sketchy exegesis right it's sketchy interpretation of scripture anyway Henry wrote this and it's it's I'll just read it if you haven't heard it uh, the woman is not made out of his head to top him nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved um take what you will of that. Now, at the, at the very least, th- this assures us that, that men and, and women are equally created in the image of God, right? It's the same substance there. Now, now before we go on, I, I do want to address this strange embracing of trans, transgenderism in our, our culture today. Um, I know I'm mostly speaking to the choir. We won't go into it in great detail, but uh, outside my office are, are two single-person restrooms, so don't get too worried about where you were headed. Uh, a, a year ago, one was labeled men and the other one was, was labeled women. And not long ago, it was, uh, the signs were changed and now they read all genders. And I'll, I'll be honest, when I first saw it, I immediately, I'm like, I want to get my Sharpie and just be like, both genders. Um, I didn't do that. It looks just like it did. It still looks that way. Now, um, and, but I, I, I say that because no matter what fictional ideas, the depravity of mankind can conjure up in the brain, in, in reality and by God's design, there are only two genders, male and female. And in regards to this movement in our day called transgenderism, um, l- listen, a, a man can't, can't deny his, or rather this, right? A, a man can deny his gender. He, he can change his pronouns. A man can put on a dress and speak in a higher voice. He can take hormone treatments. He can surgically modify his body. He might even be able to fool people walking by him out in public, but none of that can actually change gender. His DNA will remain the same, and and deep down even he knows that. Now, Now this is true for girls and women who seek to identify as boys and men as well. Our our genders are not uh, assigned to us at birth as if it's like, I don't know, let's go guy on this one. Uh, no, it's, 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 it's as Samuel James in his book, L- Digital Liturgies, wrote. He said, our bodies are given to us in our mother's wombs. We are passive recipients of God's creative work. When, when God created your body, it's true. He didn't consult you. He didn't ask you, what do you think? What do you, which direction we want to go with this, right? You, you made no comp- contribution You might even say you had no agency here, and and that's okay. Listen, even if you don't always feel comfortable in your own body, that's true of a lot of people. Even if you wish you were actually the opposite gender, God has made you the gender you are on purpose. Even if it's not easy, learn to embrace that. It's good. And listen, I... I, I know some of you might experience righteous anger because of these cultural movements. That's a fair response. But, but don't let righteous anger, do not let righteous anger turn into unrighteous rage as it tends to do. But know that even this, right, even this as we see it in our culture, right, it is because sin has entered the world. Which tells us that just like you, those pushing this transgender, you know, uh, agenda, right, they, they need Jesus, and they need Jesus before they will ever be able to submit to God and his word. And so pray for others and engage them in ways that draw them into gospel truth rather than just condemning. That's, that's what they really need. Draw them into the gospel. And, and so then, as, as God created woman, there are three really good aspects. I want you to notice here, broad pictures, right? The first is this, between men and women. The sameness. The second the differentness, and third, the union that can occur between a man and a woman in marriage. Now one aspect of uh, I've purposely belabored quite a bit this week and weeks prior is male and female are equally made in the image of God. Let there be no doubt about that. Men and women are also equal recipients of God's grace in Christ. Paul in Ephesians 3.28 says that men and women are all one in Christ, among other distinctions. As such, women and men are equal, have equal dignity, equal worth. Men and women are equally beloved by God. Uh, if you look back to Genesis one twenty-six, both men and women are equally given the creation mandate there. Neither is superior nor inferior to the other, and if you've been told otherwise, uh, it's time to recalibrate your views to God's scripture. So what about the differentness here, right? I, I've mentioned conception and childbirth already. Further, biology, neuroscience, embryology, genetics all point to all sorts of differences between men and women. So Some of it is in regards to physical strength, not pain tolerance. We all know men are a bunch of weenies when it comes to pain. I'm talking physical strength. There is a reason that there is men's and women's basketball instead of just basketball and everyone goes at it. And and that's not a knock on women's basketball. Anyone who knows me knows I'm an actual legit fan of women's basketball. But there there is a a strength difference between men and women that's undeniable. And I know there are women that could hear me say that and come up and just beat me up. That exists in the world, I'm sure of it. But in general, it's a biological fact that men have more muscular strength, uh, and that's by God's good design. And part of that is this protective responsibility men have. Our, Our son knows he can never, never hit a woman, even if she's hitting him. And that happens with our daughters from time to time. And that's incredibly annoying. But it's because God has made men strong to protect women when needed, not to harm women, not to use that against women. I, I can remember our, our kids went to Lee Elementary over there on Anderson. And. Um, there was a a time when they went into lockdown. That's when they close all the doors and everyone goes to a hiding place. And the reason was uh, there was some criminal in the area, armed criminal. They didn't know where he was. And so they they went into this lockdown. Uh, our, Our principal was this wonderful woman. She's a Texan, so I have to say that, but she was wonderful. Um, and in this moment of danger, right, there wasn't a, a single bit of hesitation, uh, she immediately assigned all the male teachers, you go to the doors and, and you're going to stand at these entrances in, in this moment. And they all went, and there's no question at that moment of like, well, why don't we, you know, they just, they just did it. it. You see, even our culture knows that there are distinctions between men and women, in fact, that's why we, we celebrate every time a woman is the first one to do this or that. And I don't say that belittling, right? I mean, Amelia Earhart, flight crew over there, you know, I think named somehow in reference to her. But, you know, the, the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. And that's awesome, right? I, I think this year the first D1, uh, first, first female Division I baseball player in the NCAA, which is phenomenal. That's an incredible accomplishment. But, but it's celebrated because there is this Distinction. Further, men can be nurturing, yeah, uh, somewhat. Uh, but in general, there is a beautiful, you might even say maternal nurturing in, in women that is typically less present in men. Just about every family I know, right, if someone gets hurt, where do the children go? Not dad, not unless he's the only option right then. Uh, and again, I mean this all in really general terms. <coughs> women tend to be more relational and social and I don't want to get into too many of these, but um, I will say this. These differences don't mean that women can't do certain things. <clears throat> it doesn't mean they can't have a job outside the home or anything like that. Uh, Proverbs 31. She's an incredible, incredibly successful entrepreneur. I mean, go read it. That's what you see there. That, that's part of what she's being like, praised for. What an incredibly godly woman here. Now, Uh, Let's look back. Let's go back to verse 22 in our text here. Having created woman, God brings her to the man. And it's not exactly, but I I mean, you can kind of picture it. It's kind of like a father presenting his daughter in a wedding wedding ceremony. And, And Adam's response is not unlike most grooms in that moment. She she looks beautiful, sure, but it's more than that. Adam looks on this woman who is perfect in every way, right? She's, this is before the fall, and he sees this woman that he loves and, and that he wants to al- walk alongside for all of his life. In and, and verse 23, we, we see, and I don't know if you know this, this is, this is the first words recorded of a human speaking. I don't know if you realize, no man or woman or anyone has spoken yet besides God and Moses You know, kind of reflecting back. Anyway, these are the first human words recorded, uh, and the words are a groom delighting in his, his bride. It, it's a, a poem. It's an ode to woman, if you will. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In other words, after naming all the animals, finally, here is someone who is like me. Here is someone that I can... Live with, I can walk through life with. Here is a, a partner for all that the Lord has, has given me here. Right? If, if we can go as far as to quote Jerry Maguire uh, in a healthy sense, you complete me. That, that's what we're seeing here. And, and remember, it, it's only after woman is created that God, in chapter one, because we see it all in one lump sum in chapter one, uh, that God looks on all of creation and he says, it's very good. It was very good. So initially, if you remember, it's, it's God who's naming things in the scriptures, the heavens and the earth, right? That's what God decides to call them and so on, and starting with the animals, we, we, we see that switch, right? Uh, God had given Adam the, the authority here to, to, to name these animals, and that carries over when, when he names woman, uh, and, and later he will actually name her more particularly uh, as Eve, In, in in ancient Near East culture, understand this, giving of names was understood as having uh, an authority position over someone. I know it's probably not going to sit well with you, but that's, that's the reality. Uh, similar to the way parents name their, their children today. This is the, the first place that we, we begin to see headship in scripture, but, but, but don't see this as men having headship over women, but rather a husband having headship over his wife, and there's all kinds of assumptions you can have there. We, we won't get into it all here, but I'll, I will say this. Uh, it, it all gets fleshed out quite a bit further in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3. The head of every man is Christ. The head of uh, a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And so you start to see that, even God included in there. We, we see it in Ephesians five twenty two, Wives, submit to your own husbands, everyone's favorite verse, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And um, again, we don't have time to unpack that today. I, I will say this. I have preached it before. We always label our sermons. Sermon 179. If you care at all, I'll put it in the email this week, and you can find it, or you can go look it up. Uh, anyway, as, as far as the, the name woman itself here, uh, there is a word play going on in the Hebrew. We lose in the English. It's not a real big deal, but um, just to use the translated word, uh, Isha is, is, is woman, and Ish is man. So it's really saying, she shall be called Isha, for she was taken out of Ish, and so Yay, poetically. Um, now, if there's any doubt at this point, it's now removed. In, in Adam and Eve, we are not just seeing in general man and, and woman relating to each other, but husband and, and wife here. Look at verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now there are are three things to focus on in in that right here and then a fourth one in the last verse that I'll I'll come back to. But but, but first, it's got to be said here there there is simply no such thing as same-sex marriage. No matter what our government, no matter what our broader culture or even other places of worship here in town uh, decide themselves about marriage, it remains now and always uh, as as God's invention, God's creation, God's ordination. He he is the one who has ordained established marriage, and it functions properly only when practiced in the way that God ordained it, which uh, certainly has implications for marriage between men and women as well. Don't, Don't think that that's if that's reality, then you've accomplished everything, right? That, that lives it out according to God's word. Uh, but, but the point here is, is marriage must be and, and can only be between one man and one woman. Because it's not just a statement about love. Mar- marriage is this picture of, of Christ and the church and God's establishing it here, which is going to come back and be this massive illustration, Right? it's God who brings men and women together in marriage and it's according to his own good design and I know not all of us here are married some of us will never marry some have experienced great pain in marriage often leading to divorce some have experienced in marriage great love and loss through death if you are not married if you never married it doesn't mean your life is incomplete Jesus our Lord never married the same with Paul And yet we can all see here in Scripture and throughout all of Scripture that there is great significance in marriage. Now then, the the first thing that we, we, we learn here is that when a man marries a woman, he has to leave his mother and his father and establish a new bond. That's a big reason why the marriage ceremony is not this private thing that just gets done somewhere, right? It's, it's this public declaration so that the entire community knows, oh, so this man and this woman are establishing this whole new family together. And this means for the husband and the wife, their, their loyalty, their, their intimacy, their responsibility, their priority in, in all aspects of life, it's no longer to their fathers and their mothers, but to each other in this newly established family. You, you wouldn't believe how many marriage issues arise because of a failure to truly leave and establish a new family in a healthy way. That doesn't mean you disregard the old family. I'm not saying that, right? But in a healthy way that you establish this, this is a new family. Uh, the second thing we learn is that a husband is to hold fast to his wife. You see it there? That, that is covenantal language that we're talking about here. Hold fast to his wife. And in Deuteronomy 10.20 There is a renewing of God's covenant with his people, and listen to how it's word. Uh, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and hold fast to him. Holding fast. Uh, Similar to how the the covenant commits us faithfully and exclusively to to love and to worship uh, the one true God. In a marriage commitment, a husband and, and likewise a wife commit exclusively to each other faithful monogamy, but all aspects of that, not just sexually, right, that commitment. Not, not based simply on what you feel in the moment, but on the promise and the commitment that is being made in this, this marriage covenant. Now, The third aspect of God's command here is that a husband and a wife shall become one flesh. Uh, this certainly includes sexual intimacy, which God has given for our delight, for our enjoyment, song of, of Solomon, hopefully your own marriage is a testament to this. So certainly sex is for childbearing, but also God has gifted us sex as a means to bond a husband and a wife together, both emotionally, even spiritually, you might say. It's, it's this, this lights-on intimacy of the soul, and, and that's why it, it belongs only within the marriage covenant. And, and the last thing we are told here in verse 25, we haven't touched that yet, is that a man and his wife, uh, the man and his wife, were both naked and not ashamed. Yeah, so what's that about? Is this, is this nudism? Don't want to get your hopes up, it's not. Um, <clears throat> one of, one of the, uh, the crew leaders here, uh, a guy named Levi Boyinger, I'm just going to throw his name out there, I hope he's okay with it, <clears throat> uh, maybe eight years ago or so, somewhere around there, he, I don't know him yet, he knocks on the door just to introduce himself at our house, he, he was living in a house down the street at the time, uh, and I open the door, and immediately his son just runs past me into the house, uh, off he goes, uh, and I'm sitting there talking to, with Levi, and we're having this great conversation uh, a few minutes pass by, and his kid comes back, and he's just butt naked, just walking. <clears throat> hey, Dad, you know, had some question. I don't know where his kids' uh, clothes are. Um, in fact, he had walked into our bathroom. One of our daughters, I think, we're taking a shower, and he's just—he's fine with it. Anyway, um, you know, this little kids are like that. They are—they just—they can walk around naked with no shame, no embarrassment. It's like they don't even know they're naked right? That's, that's Adam and Eve at this point. They're, they're bare naked before each other. They're bare naked before God, the animals, right? There's, there's no shame. There's no awkwardness. In and, and their case, right, there's, a, there's an innocence that's going on. It's a, a depth of, of intimacy that they experienced before the fall here, you, you know? And, and through the cross, you know, God has restored this somewhat between husbands and wife, both physically and emotionally. We we, we stand, we can stand before each other bare naked, unashamed. I'm talking husband and wife here, not all of us. Don't get crazy. Uh, and, and thanks to Jesus, we, we can also lay our souls bare before God. You know, that's even our time of confession, the service. That's why you can just confess everything to God. Here I am. There's that bare naked intimacy because, you know, it's forgiven on the cross with Christ. Now, uh, but, but know this, right? More than anything, this, this last line is really setting up just how aware they're going to become of their nakedness after sin enters the world, and we'll, we'll deal with that a little more later. So um, I'll, I'll leave you with this. In, in Ephesians 5:31, we read this. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, Again, marriage is a picture of the union that you and I have with Christ. The the late Donald Barnhouse, who was the pastor of Tenth Pres in in, in Philly, um, compared the creation of Eve to that of the church when he said this. He said, Out of that wound in Jesus' side came the church, which he purchased with his own blood. By his death we become bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and we shall be his forevermore. Even in that we see this picture. Church, we, you and I, men and women, right, children as well, we, we are the bride of Christ. We, we are his helpers, and, and he is our perfect bridegroom. And this is a marriage that will never end. This is a love that will never fade. Every marriage you know about in the world is an imperfect picture of this, but the reality, the reality is perfect with Christ. In fact, in, in, in Isaiah 62.5, the, the prophet there is, is, is speaking and it's the words that God has given him and it's foreshadowing Jesus when he says this. He says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And that's what we see in the gospel. That, that's forever. Well, let's, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for creating us man and woman. Thank you for the strengths that are common to each gender. Lord, please strengthen the unity and and love and intimacy between those of us who are married. May our marriages be a a safe place of vulnerability, a place of of naked and not ashamed. Lord, please give patience and provide uh, a spouse for those among us who are longing for that, longing to be married. And, And please, Give healing and hope to those who've experienced the pain of divorce or the loss of a spouse through death. Father, as we navigate a a culture that has a low regard for for marriage, that has a corrupted view of of gender and and sexuality, please give us a clear conviction from your word. Please give us wisdom to know how to love, how to engage others in a manner that will challenge corrupt assumptions while, while also inviting them into the hope of the gospel that we ourselves are resting in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.